Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and today we're going to talk about some new accessibility features that Apple pre-announced coming to iOS 17, Apple VR versus Apple AI features. What can we see at WWDC? I have a story about wiping my MacBook Pro and some other news. This episode is brought to you by our friends at ZocDoc, Find and Book a Top Rated Doctor Today, and our friends at Collide. And joining me once again, my good friend Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? I'm just thinking about Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. I don't know if I want to be involved in this podcast today <laughs> listen i've seen every other tiktok is a zelda tears of the kingdom there's people like weeping playing this game and honestly like i'm about it like i'm excited and i'm not even playing it but i want to Makes oh me yeah play. no it is whatever they're doing over there they're doing it right it's like oh, the yeah. perfect sequel of a video game i've ever seen considering that they <laughs> didn't have to rebuild the map from scratch i think they had a lot more time to focus on physics engines and uh, gameplay yeah. and gotcha. whoa, it's good and the story my gosh yeah anyway moving on so good well, it's exciting it Love looks it. exciting it looks very exciting all right uh, a couple quick five-star reviews chris from australia pgh phil from the usa and kevin from sligo ireland Said he listens at 1.75 speed, but we'll forgive that. Thanks anyway for the five-star review. Appreciate it. And I'll be honest, when it comes to listening speed, I still listen to podcasts at 1x. I do listen to the talk show at 1.5 to 1.75x because I do feel like it's a little more normal talking speed. But I have trained myself now to edit everything, both video and podcast, at 2x. So when I bring like this podcast into Ferrite, one of the wonderful features of the latest version of Ferrite is editing at 2x speed. That is how I edit this show. I edit in Final Cut now at 2x speed, which I had to look up how to do. It's not uh, very obvious how to like actually play back at 2x speed in Final Cut. If you press spacebar and it starts playing through the timeline, press L and L will speed it up playback. And then just like J will slow down playback. So that JKL controls its keyboard shortcut. And there's not really a UI method as far as I could tell to set 2x playback as the default, but just hit the letter L. You can edit in 2X and Final Cut, and that's how I edit. It's pretty nice. Some Apple had some announcements, actually. It's incredible that they keep announcing new features and kind of software updates pre-WWDC. I want to talk a little bit about what that might mean for WWDC. But they announced that Apple Music now has concert discovery. That means in Maps, there will be new guides, or there are 40 new guides curated by Apple Music editors. And those guides in Apple Maps, they'll show ideal venues to experience live music around you, which is pretty cool. and in Apple Music, there's a new set list space. You can actually see the set list for major tours. You know, if you're a fan of a certain band, you can just listen to this playlist and it's their concert set list. Which I don't know, does that kind of remove some of the allure of wondering what they're going to play at the show if you see this concert set list? I, I'm not much of a concert goer, but my is that people know what the set list is. I think it's a thing that people go out of their way to mm -hmm. hype themselves up for the concert to listen to the music ahead of time. Sure, sure, sure. But again, the live production will always be different and every live production is different in its own way. So I think sure. it's just a different way of interacting with this kind yeah. of event. I was curious because it's in Apple Maps. They have the new guides that have these music venues. And I'm curious, listeners, and for you, Wes, how much you use guides. I actually use guides all the time. In Apple Maps, if you raise that drawer at the bottom and you scroll down, you have the My Guide section, which you can create a guide, as many guides as you want, and then you can edit certain ones. But you basically add places of interest, and you can label a guide like your hometown, or maybe I have guides for Asheville, North Carolina, because we usually go near there. If we're going to vacation sometimes up the mountains, and I save favorite spots either that I want to try someday 
or spots that we discovered that we really like. And so I can always return to that guide. And even just local places, if I see a place on... You're going to have to share that Asheville guide with me because I'm an hour from there and we go there oh, a lot. It's fun. Yeah. I will do that. I even have a guide for North Carolina traveling is the name of my guide because we drive up to North Carolina usually and there's hotels we've stayed at that we really liked and there's some food places that are like set stopping points on our road trip because we've done it many times. And so I have that guide where I can just quickly... I have several hotels, the restaurants, just jump to those places while we're on the road trip and they're all saved and it's some of our favorite places. So I love guides. So you do, you can share a guide. I have not done that a lot, but you can share a guide and save places to it. This is one of those Apple Maps things that it feels like they're laying groundwork for a larger feature set rather than who who uses guides and how many people actually know they even exist. That's what there's I'm a lot, curious about. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in here. There's even Apple Produce produced guides there's a lot from magazines and different newspapers and local venues different guides on guides when we visit nashville i love using the guides to find like restaurants to eat at stuff like that like they're very useful especially when you're anywhere near just a larger city it doesn't have to be this huge kind of touristy town like even Asheville probably has a couple of like local newspaper guides so definitely something to dive into I like making my own just of like places I've eaten and like when I go to Gatlinburg I have my own guide of restaurants that I like and places I want to go back to just another one of those things that Apple could probably do better at surfacing and giving users a little bit gamify it a little bit because right now it's just like making a reminders list and it's boring. Yeah. Again, it's just, I've been thinking a lot. I don't know if anyone pays attention to my social media, but I've been thinking a lot about Apple and how they approach a lot of their social interactions and their devices. And I feel like Mm. it's also disparate, spread out, hidden. And if they ever just took the time to connect the dots and make it (laughs) more surface level, I'm not talking about the social network here. I'm talking about just make it more visible, gamify it a little bit, give people incentive to use these features. And I think we would all benefit from that because these features only really work when everyone's using them, like for you, shared with you, the Apple Maps guides, right? Like planning, like you can use Apple Maps guides to plan an itinerary for a trip. There's so much cool stuff here. It's just hidden away. It would be cool if Apple gave you a public like bio page, basically, where you can highlight some of your favorite guides. You, If there's podcasts that you create on Apple Podcasts, you can include links to that. I actually recently discovered, thanks to Micah Sargent, in his social media bios, he has something called a bento box. And so this is a website. It's called bento.me. It's free to sign up and it's free to use right now. These things are everywhere. There's a hundred, for whatever reason in the last year, like these me pages, the link dot, here's everything I've ever done on on the internet, just link pages. Yeah. And I've tried many of them. I've tried like bio.site. I've done a link tree. Typically, I actually, because I have a personal website, I made a page specifically that I can use in my social media profile links. Because if you're going to send somebody anywhere and possibly have any kind of web traffic, hopefully it would benefit your website rather than a third party like Linktree or whatever. So I typically use my own website page that I created in my social media bios. But I really love, of all the designs of these pages, bento.me is one of the nicest looking that I have seen. Adding your links to podcasts and social media, like visually, it almost feels like an Apple designed product. And it would be really cool if there was a way where Apple could say, put your maps guides, put your podcast, your Apple music playlist, whatever points of interest. If you do want to have a one page that's like your 
iCloud profile or whatever. But it would be cool if you could highlight we're, things like your maps. Again, we're really close to this, and all roads point to it being possible and it existing. As long as the data isn't user addressable, unless Apple gives us a kind of status page or wall to post to, they're not going to have to regulate anything. It'll just be Apple related. Here's links to things I've done kind of social profile. Yeah. And, uh, and I wouldn't I've, say I've, no posting, like no posting. Yeah. That's no what I'm statuses, saying. Like that, that takes away the, the work that Apple content would have to moderation. Do. Yeah, yeah. Cause that would turn it into a social network. And again, this could lead to social networks. It would be fun to post links to your social. So this brings me back and we don't, need to dive into it because it's fully my imagination but i've been imagining what apple like an apple social platform could look like in this sense of just combining all of apple's things into one platform and joe rosengall he was posting about the accessibility features and we get into this is where it comes from one of the features you can toggle combines the i believe the phone app and the facetime app into one interface to Mm -hmm. make it less confusing for certain people because that is a confusing concept that there's these different apps that kind of do the same thing and he questioned why not does is this a sign that apple could be combining these apps in the future or give users the option outside of accessibility it would be interesting to me if iMessage, the phone app facetime and contacts were all to basically merge back into one more or less social platform and instead of Imagine the messages app where you have a tree of people at the top, your pinned right. conversations, and then a list of conversations below that. Just switch it in your head to pin profiles and you click on someone's face and then you see access to a FaceTime call, an iMessage thread. And this is where what we were discussing would come in. It would be amazing if that also was just basically an interactive Apple ID profile showing right. what are they playing on Apple Arcade? What was their latest Apple Music playlist? And just yeah. surface it all underneath this new context profile. And my argument for Apple doing this and why this would exist is this is now, if Apple ecosystemed contacts, like they have iMessage and other things, basically, if you're on Apple, your context profile explodes into this useful mechanism right now we can introduce rcs and shove it under a a, a rug over here you can rcs someone if you're with apple your profile is this living breathing thing that lets friends interact with you see all of your shared stuff and it just becomes again this gamification of iMessage and contacts and facetime in a way that apple kind of is a little bit boring with now they bring it all up front and just present it in this colorful fun way And I think that that would be a very powerful way for Apple to move its ecosystem forward, make people more interested in it, just make it visible and then say, and there's this RCS junk over here that if you really need it. And it would be cool if you had that kind of page, let's say your profile page, and it was, let's say, just visible to you for right now, or at least part of it is just visible to you. Yeah, you could click a toggle, say which ones are public, which ones aren't. But also like shared with you feature, which I think is really great. There's been times when someone has texted me a show or texted me a link, and then when I go into Safari, that shared with you line is great because now I don't have to think about who sent it to me or what text conversation it's in. I'm already in Safari. Now if I'm in a place where I can browse it, I can just click it. But it would be nice to see all of the things people have shared with you and in one place. And I think Apple is just like you're saying, a couple steps away from doing it because it aggregates it in each app. It would be nice to go to one place, iCloud.com slash your username or whatever, and just say, here's all the things people have sent you via text, 
via email would be nice to email will get really messy because you probably get a ton of links, but it would be nice to add things to that shared with you as you're browsing around or if someone sends up to you. I don't know. It'd be cool. Maybe I'll see some of WWDC because it still remains to be seen with all the rumors flying around and everything they're pre-announcing. Let's get to some of the accessibility features they pre-announced and then we can brainstorm more in WWDC. But this is something Apple's been doing year after year where they pre-announce some of the accessibility forward features so they can be highlighted and have their own moment before we get to WWDC and all the big iOS 17 announcements. There's three key features here that I wanted to mention and what it means, but assistive access, which means that someone that possibly has cognitive disabilities, it'll be easier for them to interact with the displays on their devices. There's large high contrast buttons and large text with labels. So that's assistive access. It looks pretty slick. There's a screenshots on it. You can check out the article in the show notes. Also, just side note, there's for users who prefer to communicate visually, there's an emoji only keyboard. And I so wish I could figure out how to hack William Gallagher's iPhone where it will only show the emoji only keyboard. I think that would be hilarious. But anyway, point and speak, which is an improvement on something Apple has had in accessibility where those who are visually impaired can hold their iPhone up and the camera, depending on what it sees, will speak what it sees like door in front or this door says that. And now it will actually speak text that the camera sees as someone is holding the iPhone up and seeing something like this way for restrooms or whatever it may be. So that's point and speak. But this last one I find particularly interesting. It's live speech and personal voice. Live speech means you can either pre-program different spoken tidbits or strings of text. And whether someone's on a FaceTime call, they can choose these different pieces of text and it will be spoken to the other person. Or you can have these pieces of text ready-made on your phone and you can just play them while you're in person, a speech to text kind of feature. And one of the powerful features they're adding into this is those who might be on a road to losing their ability to speak. If it's something like ALS and the person, you know, is not going to be able to speak out loud in the future, this personal voice feature, basically the user will read aloud a random set of text prompts and create 15 minutes of audio on device and using here it is, machine learning, the device will use that data to create a personal voice, meaning that those live speech text snippets that the person has programmed into their phone can be spoken in a voice that sounds like them. Now, this is, by all accounts of anyone else on the internet, any other company would say this is an AI-powered or AI-generated personal voice. Apple did not say AI anywhere in this announcement, doesn't call it an AI feature. They said they use on-device machine learning. Yeah, there's no mention of even the abbreviation or artificial intelligence at nope. all in the piece. Nothing. And I think this is very indicative. And I think this is what it looks like when Apple uses quote-unquote AI features, which shout out to Jason Aiton because he actually wrote an article saying everybody stop calling it AI. It's just computers doing things. And so kudos to him. Yeah, like that's kind of what we were talking about even last week. And so this is a more accurate description. It's machine learning. But this is 100% Apple. What, again, you're seeing all these other companies do that they are calling AI features, AI powered, AI generated. This is Apple using that technology. Here it's for an accessibility reason, which I think is incredible. I'm very curious how this would carry over year to year. If someone has an iPhone, they do the 15 minutes of audio. It creates a personal voice. Does that sync to iCloud? Is that saved to their iCloud account in some way? So as they upgrade their device, could it be carried over or transferred? So I'd be curious about that side of the feature. But I think this is a glimpse of what we're going to see Apple talk about at WWDC 
We're not going to hear them say AI even once. I'm not going to say I'll shave my eyebrows if they say it, but I would feel confident even saying that because this is, again, I think just clear that Apple understands the power of these kinds of features and machine learning technology. They are using it. This is proof, and they are not going to call it AI, and we're going to see that a ton at WWDC. Machine learning has been a subset of Apple since the iPhone 7. Year. But, and they've said it yeah, in keynotes uh, many times. Yeah, it that, again, it's the more accurate term. I mean, we it goes all the way back to portrait mode when we had we got what our first dual camera photography system. Apple was dabbling in machine learning algorithms obviously with Siri and voice translation. Like it's been there for more yeah. than a decade, but like the first time we really saw it on the consumer end front facing was when they created portrait mode for the camera. And then it's just evolved from there. Like Apple's been involved in this for a very long time. And it's always hilarious to me when I see people say, is Apple behind in AI or whatever? And it's your use of the word is impossible to decipher because it doesn't have any meaning. But no, Apple is not behind. If anything, they're at the forefront of all of this. And yes, while Siri might be a little silly sometimes and misunderstand or at the surface appears less complex than other voice assistants, I assure you it's as complex and as powerful as things like Google Assistant. If the problem is there's a learning curve and these things shouldn't have learning curves. They should have, they should just work in Apple's parlance. And Siri has a just work problem where it takes the same, it can take the same things out of syntax and do different things with the same phrase sometimes. Like there's definitely issues with Siri, but I don't think it's as dire as people make it out to be. And I think it'll be interesting to see the further advancements that Apple has here. And accessibility features always are a sign of the future, whether we're, we're, we as humans are going to grow into needing these accessibility features. It's amazing that they're there. Don't worry. You're not going to have your perfect 20-year-old vision for your entire life. You could Your voice could be lost in an accident uh, at yeah. any time. There's You don't think about very often, but it's reality where we can fall apart at any moment. We, could, we can lose access to the things that we take for granted at any time. And uh, here, these tools give us the ability to basically get through these issues yeah Uh, one thing i wanted to say is i wonder what this technology looks like moving forward because as we've seen with other accessibility features they usually move over into non-accessibility as standard features so we saw like the ipad cursor exists because of an accessibility feature and Mm -hmm. i wonder if personal voice is a way we're going to be able to program personal Siri voices in the future. That, yeah, exactly. And like I would with Intercom, they added these shortcut steps where I can have any of my Intercom HomePods say a message that either I type in or pre-program, which is similar to what this live speech feature is. Pre-program some text snippets and then Siri will speak it out or your device will speak it out. And if I could program my voice where when I send an Intercom command to my HomePod and it sounds like me, instead of just the stock Siri voice, 100%, I would do that. And I'll even put this link in show notes. I might have put it in here a few weeks ago, but 11labs, it's beta.11labs.io. They call it Prime Voice AI. And it is exactly this feature where you can record or submit recordings of your voice to this website. It will create a profile for your voice. And then you can have any amount of typing, type whatever text you want, And it will create an audio file of, quote unquote, your voice speaking that text. And you think long term, you know, the use cases of something like this for audiobooks. If an author wants to have their voice as the audiobook narrator and AI gets good enough where it doesn't sound robotic and it actually sounds natural, 
huge ramifications, like in a good way. For voice actors, maybe not so. There's going to have to be a different kind of hopefully market or the whole AI revolution is, I think, going to affect that market specifically. But I think this feature is great. And I'm curious how Apple is going to expand it throughout its lineup. It just reminds me a little bit, and it's a little it's a little different because they didn't use this technology, but in, in extrapolations in Apple TV Plus show about the future, how it, climate change is affecting our planet. There's a lot of technology in the show, and it's just really interesting to see how they've used it and evolved yeah. it because it goes all the way up to 2070 something. And it's funny because Apple isn't in the show. Apple's in all of their modern Apple TV Plus shows, ex- except for the ones that are too sci-fi to have it or just in alternate universes. This one is set in our Earth. And I don't know if you've watched it yet, but I definitely recommend it. It is such a disturbing and powerful show. I love it. The reason I bring it up in the second episode, Meryl Streep plays someone's mother mm-hmm. who, before she passes, because she's diagnosed with, I can't remember, I, I think it's a kind of cancer, she knows that she's never going to get to meet her grandchildren. So she records videos of her reading bedtime stories so the kid can go back and watch them. And there's some narrative around this in the show, but I just thought it was clever. It's like, we can do this now. There's nothing preventing us from having our family sit in front of a camera and read a bedtime story and i thought that was really interesting and that took place in like 2046 but now (laughs) we're talking about today we could have a loved one record their voice and we could synthesize it to read any story that we want i'm just i thought it was just an interesting thought technology but synthesis versus reality one of the things that so this again goes back to the show the second episode is about the extinction of whales And this woman, she has collected a lot of voice data of her family for reasons. And when she, they've, they figured out at this point how to communicate with animals by synthesizing animal noises and they know what the animal is trying to say. It's again, it's very sci-fi. She actually uses her recorded family voices in place of the animal so she can feel a closer connection to it. And the whale she's talking to, she uses her mother's voice, Meryl Streep's voice to be the whale. And it's just such, Mm. such an interesting concept. And of course it brings up a lot of moral and ethical issues. You're supposed to be getting data from this whale, but it's your mother. And it's interesting. It's, it's a good thought, (laughs) a way to think about technology and how it affects our future. I'm going to put a link to, to Joanna Stern's wall street journal video essay it was called eternal a tech quest to live forever how tech can bring our loved ones to life after they die and this is a part of it It was really good it was an incredible watch really fascinating even then this was december 2020 so we're talking almost three years ago and even the technology then with taking recordings from loved ones generating the voice saying other things even interacting with that voice through something like an amazon assistant And now with all the AI revolution now, three years later, I feel like this is even more apropos. So I'll put that link in the show notes if you're curious about it, but great new accessibility features from Apple. And this will be coming with iOS 17. And I'm sure we'll hear plenty of it at WWDC, which we should talk about next. But again, I just want to reiterate happening on device with Apple's neural engine. The SIF isn't getting sent off to a cloud to get processed. And that's the thing with these large language models. They're interesting. They're a new step in the tool set. Again, I just wouldn't count Apple out of the equation here yet. And I'm very interested in seeing if they do anything similar to a large language model at WWDC. This episode is brought to you by ZocDoc. Listen, you're trying to find a cause for your symptoms. Maybe you're not feeling very good, but if you search online, you're going to stumble down a rabbit hole. Don't do that. Download the free ZocDoc app today, and then you can book and find a top-rated doctor near you. And here's the important part that takes your insurance. 
I've used ZocDoc multiple times in the past, and it's always a great experience. When I moved, I actually found a new primary care doctor so I can do an annual physical, and I found them in the ZocDoc app. You put in your insurance card, you can even just take a picture and it'll find all the information that way, and then it will just show you the doctors that you know can take your insurance, and it will just show you the doctors that take your insurance, and you can sort by top rated so you can make sure you're going to have a good experience. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. So no more doctor roulette or scouring the internet for questionable reviews. With ZocDoc, you have a trusted guide to connect you to your favorite doctor you haven't met yet. And they even do telehealth appointments. One of my kids wasn't feeling well, and so I was able to find a pediatrician, someone who would care for a child, and book a virtual meeting so I could do everything from home. I didn't even have to go to the office. I knew they took my insurance, and we were able to get an antibiotic prescription right from that video call. So go to ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider and download the ZocDoc app for free. It is totally free. You could just go to the App Store and search for ZocDoc, but don't do that. Let them know that you heard about ZocDoc from here on the Apple Insider podcast. So go to ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider to download it. Then you can find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Apple Insider. ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring this episode and our friends at Collide. They have big news. If you're an Okta user, which I know what that is now, thanks to several of you listeners letting me know that Okta is a single sign-on protocol, they can get your entire fleet to 100% compliance. How do they do it? If a device isn't compliant, the user can't log into your cloud apps until they've fixed the problem. It's that simple. Collide patches one of the major holes in zero trust architecture, which is device compliance. Without Collide, IT struggles to solve basic problems like keeping everyone's OS and browser up to date, unsecured devices are logging into your company's apps because there's nothing there to stop them. Collide is the only device trust solution that enforces compliance as part of authentication, and it's built to work seamlessly with Okta. The moment Collide's agent detects a problem, it alerts the user and gives them instructions to fix it. If they don't fix the problem within a set time, they're blocked. Collide's method means fewer support tickets, less frustration, and most importantly, 100% fleet compliance. So visit collide.com slash Apple Insider to learn more or book a demo. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Collide for sponsoring this episode. So looking to WDC, we're just a little over two weeks away from the keynote on June 5th. And I've really been thinking a lot about machine learning and AI in relation to what Apple is going to announce because really all the talk about WWDC has been maybe watchOS gets a huge update. We could see 15-inch MacBook Air, but the VR headset has really taken the limelight as what we are all looking forward to for WWDC. Heard from other podcasts like ATP and others that there's something really big, something exciting coming, and everyone's thinking it's the VR headset. There was XROS, which has supposedly been the operating system that Apple's headset will run, that term xros has been trademarked by apple in new zealand but this one was not apple this was deep dive lc a shell company that is supposedly owned by apple okay Okay. we'll see (laughs) yeah so it's one of those we you know you can search these regulatory databases and find things and xros in the same couple of days was trademarked and what gave it away and what people are assuming here is this was a wordmark trademark, so it's like a watermark of the word XROS, okay. stylized in different ways. But 
it uses Apple's SF Pro font in the stylization. So it's a giveaway. Like they didn't trademark this in Times New Roman. <laughs> and, and so this was actually a trademark filed in Singapore and New Zealand by the same Deep Dive LLC. So I said, okay. So that's there. We're hearing from there was a tweet from a person named Hudson that on the WWDC schedule, there's been like partial scheduling supposedly with a special evening activity, one of the nights of WWDC. Apple said you won't want to yeah. miss it, at least for those who are attending. I have a It's feeling... a full schedule. We just can't find uh, There's yeah, People are right, scared right. of sharing it, right? They cropped right. out the bottom half that has the special activity, which I'm sure just says special activity. You won't want to miss it. But then you can register your interest in attending. And like that. it's just this internal page. If you have been invited, gotcha. you log in with your Apple ID and you can see this page that shows your schedule for WWDC. We see these every year. It just says when you're having lunch, when you're going on a tour, there's nothing right, revelatory right. here. And there's always some kind of evening event. It's just people are highly speculative about the special events. Is it everyone to try on AR headsets? I don't know. I have a feeling it's the talk show with John Gruber. Because <laughs> I feel like last year, John right. Gruber held the talk show on site. It was actually held at the developer center that Apple had just well, opened. So I feel like they would probably put that on the schedule. It's more likely, if I had to guess, the the WWDC, what is it, bash? Some sort of like beer bash uh, thing that they yeah, do. Yeah, they the, do some kind of party, whatever. The, it's a concert with a live, they have Shakira come to come and sing for them. And it's like this weird nerd party. Okay. I hope to one day I see this nerd party. But yeah, so that's a special activity. But coming very soon, I wanted to poll on Twitter and Mastodon. So I submitted this poll and I was curious if people who listen and this wasn't hugely voted on, so this is a small subset. But I asked, are people more excited for WWDC to see Apple release AI or machine learning features across their OSs, or are people excited about the VR headset? Because I will say, after watching Google's IO keynote and seeing all the different AI everythings, whether or not that's a good term to call it or not, but just seeing the technologies being built into things like Google Sheets and Google and Gmail and Google search, I really got excited thinking if Apple could do this, they would be, I think, uniquely positioned across apps to really help people use machine learning tools in an effective way. For instance, if you're writing in a pages document and you want to generate text or select some bullet points and tell Siri or whatever other assistant Apple wants to call it, make these bullet points into a keynote slide. It tells you to pick a photo from your iCloud photo library and automatically you have a keynote presentation nicely designed. I feel like Apple is uniquely positioned to walk people through how to utilize these kinds of machine learning features, how to help people be more productive with them across all of the applications. I think these accessibility features that Apple has released this week is a glimpse into that. And I am more excited to see what they do with that in iOS and iPadOS. Maybe they just build it into Siri and Siri really becomes that AI assistant, although they're not going to say AI. I don't know what they would call it. But are they excited for that? I'm more excited for that than even the VR headset. And I know that might like ruffle people's feathers. Like everyone's excited about this VR headset. But I just don't think that is going to have the same practical use cases for a majority of people as small little AI features that are built into the operating system across apps that people already use. Steven, I hate to burst your bubble, but none of that's happening. There's none of the AI, like whatever stuff is happening. There's no way. WWDC 
is based on software operating systems, right? That yeah. are developed across the previous year. So in parallel with everything announced last year, things were in their early alpha phases and they enter a final lock-in phase by December of 2022. And then these first six months is basically get it ready for prime time enough that we can enter beta one successfully and not break everyone's computers because everyone's going to install this whether a developer or not. This last six months, that's when this AI whatever large language model revolution was occurring. That wasn't it's not it wasn't on Apple's radar when they were developing these operating systems. It's not going to be a part of it. There's no way unless they have a separate team specifically working on these features and they were like we have to get into the zeitgeist but the thing is apple's never been one to get into the zeitgeist they don't care they don't I, need no, to i understand that but again features in like final cut pro on ipad like the auto crop that's the kind of feature and even last year at wwdc you think about icloud shared photo library the ability to when you're with your icloud family if you're at like a theme park or on vacation the fact that you're all taking pictures in a close proximity it's using the geolocation and then automatically suggest that those photos be shared across a shared iCloud right. photo library. Well, that's not what I mean, that's though. Because kind of those, those are just features, right? And that's where yeah. everyone's getting so confused. This is where the use of AI for everything breaks everyone's brains because it no longer has any meaning. What Google mm -hmm. announced at I.O. was a lot of features <laughs> for yeah, their yeah. operating systems and their software. Right. And some of them, not all of them, some of them were powered by large language models, some larger than others because of their different size systems that they've been implementing. But they're still that specific technology. But the problem is they've used a blanket term to discuss all of the technology. Apple last year introduced a lot of great features that use a lot of machine learning capabilities, that use a lot of on-device intelligence, the neural right. engine, to perform tasks, those will still be present this year. That's not what I'm saying. Apple will still have features for their products yeah, using yeah. machine learning models and the neural engine and improve upon photo editing and sharing and device-based location and all of that stuff will still be there. What I'm talking about specifically, again, is large language models so right. everyone's Generative expecting text. yeah so everyone's expecting apple to come out at wwdc and say here is xcode copilot and it's going to help you write code and while something like that might have been in development because we have seen apple slowly Im improve xcode's ability to correct your code and give you auto generated snippets and stuff like that based on what you're trying to do because of swift ui and it's more natural language model that is all true. And if we see something similar to that, it's not because of the LLM boom. It's because Apple's been working on this for years and it just happened to make it Xcode this year. I don't foresee us seeing an all-powerful new Siri that you can communicate with natural language unless, again, there's just been a specific team since January running through these large language systems and saying, we can do that and just slowly implementing it into Siri last minute. But Apple doesn't operate at the last minute. I'm curious because you have been a proponent saying like Apple is really leaning onto the reality of things like photos, not wanting to offer so many adjustments to a photo where what is a photo? I am curious if the magic editor that we saw with Google, where you can move something a little more in frame and then AI will automatically generate it. Apple already does background removal and that's built into the photos app. Like you could just tap and hold on a subject and drag it over and remove the background. I do wonder if we will see those kinds of quote unquote generative features and things like photos. But I also will say, while I agree where we won't see 
large language models from Apple where you basically chat with Siri and Siri will generate an essay about the Revolutionary War or whatever. I could see more features in things like Spotlight, which Spotlight actually was improved last year, even on the Mac and on iOS. But in things like Spotlight on the iPhone, where when you search for something and you have the suggested results at the top, like if you search for a movie, if you search for Guardians of the Galaxy 3, it'll jump you to Fandango or IMDb, doing everything it can to have you just skip the search engine entirely. And it offers all of that right there in kind of the Siri search window. I could see that being improved where any other company would call it AI results or whatever. I think Apple could increase the offerings of that, the have you be able to follow up, because that's something where you type in Guardians of the Galaxy 3, it gives you a bunch of answers, but there's not like a follow-up. You can't say, actually, I was looking for movie times or Actually, I just wanted to know the cast of the movie. You can add that kind of in the spotlight search box, but that's a little clunky because if you scroll down or whatever. So I could see Apple improving that kind of stuff, which I which would show me that they are doing those kinds of machine learning features. They're not going to call it AI, but that's the kind of stuff they could build into Siri and Spotlight and search across the, all the OSs, and it would feel like but, this kind of AI stuff. Sure, but I still think that's just mm. an evolution of what they've already been working on and has nothing sure. to do with the world at large. And that's what's that's what I just want to distinguish here is like I because I can see the headlines already is Apple playing catch up with Google Bard or whatever sure, Apple sure. they're not doing any of that because it's not it wasn't on their radar when they were designing these systems these systems are also new that the stuff that we're getting in June predates all of this stuff that Google and Bing and all of that has been working on in these last like six months or so it it just I, yeah. I don't know. I just think language is important and Google's doing everything it can to destroy language with its use of the term AI and everyone's just jumping onto the hype train and they're forgetting that Apple has been in this arms race for years. There's something called Siri intelligence that runs on all of our devices. And I know yeah. kind of an oxymoron because everyone really dislikes Siri, but at least a lot of people do. But Siri intelligence is this thing that you're talking about. It's yeah. what yeah. makes Spotlight work. The, you, right, there's yeah. a setting menu in settings that says everything that Siri intelligence has access to you toggle on and off and that's what surfaces in spotlight that's what Siri can pull up when you give it commands that's what so if you have the dictionary app like a what's that if you have Wolfram Alpha installed yeah. on your iPhone that can be a Siri intelligence target you can sure, actually Im sure. improve series search results by having different apps installed because it'll provide results from different apps using deep app search, which is something Apple introduced years ago. All of this is here and we'll see evolutions of it and improvements on it in, during WWDC. I just hope people don't get confused and think, oh, like this is a response to Google. Oh, this is a response to Bing because now suddenly Apple needs to play catch up. Sure, sure. I just personally, I don't think they need to play catch up. I think they just need to keep doing what they've been doing. Yeah, we should move on. But I do want to say last year, the 2022 WWDC keynote, they said machine learning four to five times. I actually know because I downloaded the video, put it into a transcription engine and searched for the words. So it was like single digits four to five times right, because I'm, each piece of technology has its own name because they right, need right, right, right. different names to describe but, them. <laughs> but I'm just going to say, I think this year 
they're going to say machine learning a lot more. Probably. And, uh, Neural uh, engine. Like the, there, engine there, machine learning. There will be more buzzwords. Yes. I'm, I'm, Apple isn't afraid of marketing terms. All right, one quick news, and then I want to talk about wiping my MacBook Pro because that was an experience. But Georgia has now brought the iPhone driver's license into the wallet. So if you're a Georgia resident, you can now have your digital driver's license or ID in the Apple Wallet app. And Georgia joins three other states, Arizona, Colorado, and Maryland. So those four states, you can use your digital ID in the wallet app. All that to say, Florida supposedly has a digital ID program, not yet a part of this thing. And what has it been like four years since digital ID? I don't know, 2020 maybe. Yeah, it's getting... It's It's one of those weird things where, again, I hate this, but it's only useful for one thing and at certain airports. Yeah. It's exciting that it's coming, but until... it. I, I honestly, even if Tennessee today said, here's your driver's license, I would do the thing and add it to my phone. Cool. Sure, sure. But it's useless. Like, I can't go buy a beer with it. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. Okay. I want to tell a quick anecdote and then go into some details about wiping my 14-inch MacBook Pro. Because when I got that, which is well, over a year and a half ago, I got the one terabyte SD, which when it comes to what you upgrade on a Mac when you buy it, the more storage you can afford, the better. I went with one terabyte because... I knew I was going to be getting a desktop later. I have my Mac Studio. I got two terabytes on that. Two terabytes have been a good amount. But the one terabyte drive on my 14-inch MacBook Pro was filling up, and I only had 60 gigs of free space. I don't like being that close to the line. I like having at least 100 gigs free or more. And a large majority of that storage was being taken up by iCloud Drive files. I produce a lot of podcasts, and I save both the raw wave files and the mp3 finished files into iCloud Drive. And being saved there, it takes up a lot of space. I had 600 gigabytes of my MacBook Pro was being taken up by iCloud Drive files. Now, I know that with iCloud Drive, you can remove downloads from files that have been downloaded to your computer and say, don't keep this locally on my device. Just keep it in my iCloud Drive because I have room there in my iCloud Drive. I just don't want it to take up space on my Mac. And there is a checkbox in system settings where you could say optimize Mac storage and your Mac will automatically offload files as you begin to run out of space. The threshold, I wish was granular. I wish I could say offload files once iCloud Drive takes up 100 gigs, but you can't do that. You just have to let the Mac do it by itself. So I wanted to offload some files and I couldn't figure out how to do it right away. I know that if you right click an individual file in iCloud Drive, there's an option to remove download. But if you select a folder, or in my case, I have many nested folders because I really like to organize all my files. You can't select multiple folders and remove them. But you almost-ish can because I had a couple listeners reach out. And if you select, let's say, just a bunch of MP3s, you know, I have a folder with a bunch of MP3s. Half of them are downloaded to the Mac, half of them are not. You can tell because if there's a little cloud symbol with a down arrow, It means it's not saved to the computer, where if there's no symbol next to the file, then it is downloaded. If you select all those files and right-click, you might see the Download Now button. And I thought maybe you have to click Download Now, and once they're all downloaded, you can remove the downloads. But if you select all those files, click them so the contextual menu pops up, and then hold the Option key on your keyboard, it will change or add the option to remove the downloads amongst all those selected files. So you don't have to download them all just to remove them. So I did that for a few ways and it would work sometimes with multiple folders, 
There were some times where I could select multiple folders, tell it to remove downloads, and it would do it, but it didn't work consistently. And I could not do it from the top level. Like I could not right click my documents folder, which is where all my files are saved. I don't really keep anything on the desktop. I organize everything in the documents. I wish I could just right click that whole documents folder and say, remove all the downloads in here and just let it be. And because I couldn't do that, I chose the sane option as I thought. And I'm like, I'm just going to start from scratch. So I just wiped my Mac, which is now easier because you can go to system settings and just do erase all content and settings like you can on iOS devices. So the process of wiping everything is fairly straightforward. So I did that, started from scratch, chose not to sync iCloud Drive. I said, don't download anything in the desktop and documents folder. Just stop it. I'll figure out how I'll go to iCloud.com if I need to access something because I really don't do a lot on the laptop that I need all those files for. So I wiped it and I don't have plenty of space now. Don't have to worry about it. All that to say, I would love to see some iCloud drive updates at WWDC. So those kinds of things are a little more manageable. But as I started from scratch on my MacBook Pro, I thought I have an opportunity here. Let me try and go as stock as possible and only install the apps that I really need. One of the biggest things I thought to try was iCloud Keychain and not install 1Password at all. Now doing this, I actually find that iCloud Keychain, when it's not having to fight 1Password for autofill in Safari, works really well. On my Mac Studio where I have both installed, I know I can turn off the autofill, but whenever I click in a login window or a login box, iCloud Keychain and 1Password are like fighting each other and the windows overlap and it's a mess. So just having iCloud Keychain for those kind of web autofills is working really well. What I immediately missed from just using iCloud Keychain was menu bar access where I could just click something in the menu bar and search for a login right there in a contextual menu in the menu bar and then copy the password. I would love for there to be some kind of menu bar access, maybe Spotlight, maybe it could be there. One of the biggest challenges I found was in system settings, when you need to add internet accounts, like you're trying to sync a Microsoft account and mail calendars and contacts from things like Google, if you want to sync your Google account, it is nigh impossible to get your iCloud keychain password when you're in the middle of that process. If you wanted to add a Google account in system settings under internet accounts, it'll pull up the login window for Google and sometimes the iCloud keychain pop-up would not appear for me to just autocomplete. And I would have to close out of that whole process to go copy the password from the passwords menu in system settings. This would be solved if there was either a menu bar or a standalone app that I could have open alongside system settings to be able to copy and paste passwords. So that was one of the bigger frustrations and not having it in the menu bar was annoying. Other than that, I love the usability of iCloud Keychain when you're just browsing Safari or whatever, but would really love that menu bar and standalone app. So that's what I discovered there. I also found I wanted to try and just use the stock calendar app because I have six different calendar accounts. It's a little crazy. I know, don't at me. But trying to add all those accounts to Fantastical is a bit of a chore because I need to get app-specific passwords for each of those accounts because they're all two-factor like Microsoft or Google accounts, and they don't, and an iCloud calendar I use as well. And you can't just log into your iCloud account or log into your Microsoft account. Like you have to get an app specific password to use with Fantastical. And that's cumbersome, especially if you ever have to change that password for any reason. So I was like, let me just try to use the stock calendar app because that will pull from the internet accounts that I have in system settings. 
when you do that, I also missed the menu bar Fantastical icon because I very often go up to the menu bar, click the little calendar symbol to see my events for the day, to see the month view, just to view it. Sometimes I add events in there, but at least just viewing it from the menu bar was really useful. And I missed that, not having Fantastical, which again is amazing. I'm still using Fantastical on my iPhone, iPad, my Mac Studio. I just want to see what it was like. One app I found to help alleviate this, it's called ItsyCal, I-T-S-Y-Cal. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's from Mowgli.com, like M-O-W-G-L-I-I. And it is a free little utility. You don't have to pay for it. You just download it. It accesses your calendars on the Mac and it puts something in the menu bar so you can just see your calendars for that day. You can customize which calendars are viewable when you click it. You can have the week start on Monday as you're supposed to. And you can have a calendar icon that accesses your stock calendar accounts without using Fantastical. So that was an answer for that. And then I downloaded a bunch of other apps that were just, I needed these apps on my Mac. I tried to go as stock as possible, but I needed my clipboard manager, PaySpot. I needed text expander. I use it so much via muscle memory, Bear for notes, audio hijack for recording audio, things for to-dos, reader for RSS, Pixelmator Pro, definitely need that. Pastel, which is a great if you use a lot of different color and brand color things and hex codes. Pastel is great for accessing that. And Mona, my Mastodon client for Mac, I downloaded that because I really wanted that. And so it's been nice using my MacBook Pro, just a bare bones, just the apps I really need. And the iCloud drive syncing has not been too much of a pain at this point. But I do all that to say, I do wish Apple gives more options for iCloud Drive, deciding how much space those files can take up and all that. So I don't have to literally wipe my Mac to feel like I got space and storage back. But what is your experience with iCloud Drive and big files? Do you ever run into this kind of issue? My MacBook Pro is at 300 gigs of 500 used. That's and that's the whole story. Is it wait? So I, you have 200 gigs free? Yeah. Okay. Okay. That I'm not dealing with large files. Um, I generally my hobbies are photography related, and even if I'm capturing full raw photos at 50 megabytes each, once I've edited those photos, if I want to keep them, I move them to this little one terabyte external SD that I have. So I just have a very clean system for managing this stuff. The stuff that goes into iCloud are active use items. So I have a entire database of all of the images I use for Apple Insider. So I can quick search for keywords or go to different specific folders. If I need an iPad or a Mac image or this specific image of software or whatever, I have all that categorized in iCloud Drive. Images don't take up that much space, especially since we're using web-sized images, JPEGs. I size up to 4K, which are production reduces when I upload, but I like to save them at that density. But yeah, like it's just not that much space for that. I have a full library of all the text I've ever written for drafts and all of the, and then I have IA writer, which is where I save completed text for. So drafts is where I write text and I literally have everything I've ever written just there. I I never go back and look at it, but it's just there if I, for an emergency or need access to something, I just create a new document every time I might go and purge that eventually. Cause again, it's just not something I go look at and then completed finalized text that's been published on the website. If I need to do SEO stats or find out different keyword densities or something like that, I take that completed document, put it in IA Writer, and then use those tools there. And so IA Writer has a more organized, completed 
document list of the inside pages and stuff that I've written. So I have complete text of those in case anything catches on fire. But that's basically my cloud system. I don't have a lot of personal stuff in there. Obviously, iCloud Photo Library, and I set that to download on whatever devices have enough storage for that. As far as, yeah, I just haven't run out of space on anything really. My 500 gig MacBook Pro is fine. I actually have more storage. I have one terabyte on my iPad Pro, just because generally speaking, that was my primary device and still will be my primary device once a few kinks are worked out in the operating system. Yeah, I don't know. The Mac is just less complicated in that way. I just have what I need to run. I'm. It's a work machine. I'm not using it for anything outside of work. Mm-hmm. Anything I do hobbyist-wise is done on my iPad, so it's interesting hearing you having all these problems, but you're also running video. You're doing a lot more podcast stuff. I have all the audio that we've ever recorded is in iCloud. Okay. So, like, I, again, I but these files just aren't big enough to overload my systems to make me need to go through and wipe out something to gain control of it or whatever. That's just my whole part of my wish list for DC, but that was my experience. And finally, just could before you, we... Oh, go ahead. Could you have summoned your passwords with Siri instead of going into the settings app every time? Because Siri will fetch your passwords for you. Like with Spotlight or Siri? Siri. The, this, the I Siri. Have, I don't have Siri enabled on my Mac. Oh, there you go. Um, I didn't know, yeah, I didn't know I, it could. On your iPhone, if you... Well, let me see, let me test this real quick. I'm curious, Show me man. my I, Apple password. Oh, it opened the passwords app. So see, I thought it returned in one of those little, what, like a compact results, but I guess not. But anyway, yeah, yeah that's a, a yeah. keychain isn't perfect. And sadly, password fields and apps and websites need to specifically be written in a way that keychain can identify or won't. And some apps just don't let keychain in. So yeah, it can be frustrating getting a lot of that done. I think one password does some trickery in the system to get around that and just knows to look for password fields in a different way than what keychain's doing. So it's going right. to have appear in more places and have more options because right. Apple isn't doing those workarounds. So there's definitely weirdness there. Me, I'm using mostly stock Apple apps. I don't really go outside of that. So even if I wipe my system today, I wouldn't install much. I'm very vanilla on my Mac. The only things that I have installed are from Setapp. I, I subscribe to Setapp yeah. and they have some really good tools like Bartender and CleanShot X and stuff like that. And then of course I have Pixelmator Pro for editing. That's my photo creation tool for work and stuff. But yeah, outside yeah. of that, I'm looking here and I can't identify any sure. apps that jump out and say, hey, it's pretty much Setapp and Apple. That's pretty much it. <laughs> right. All right. Finally, before we wrap up, I do want to mention there's a new trailer for an Apple TV Plus original movie directed by Martin Scorsese called Killers of the Flower Moon. Wes and I watched it right before we started recording. <laughs> and it is an intense trailer and it features Robert De Niro. He stars Robert De Niro, Leonardo DiCaprio. I saw Brendan Fraser is in this movie, so I'm very excited about that. But this is about the members of the Osage tribe in the United States who were murdered under mysterious circumstances in the 1920s. So based on a true story, but it looks intense. Like it looks like maybe Oscar winning movie on Apple TV plus here. So yeah, this trailer looks pretty intense based on a book by David Gran. I've not read it, but I don't really care about any of that. It's Martin Scorsese. That's all I need to know. The cast is excellent. The trailer looks dark. It looks brooding just like the other films. I'm a big fan of Scorsese's work and just excited to finally see some moving pictures. I think all we've had since about 2019 is a screenshot of Leonardo DiCaprio sitting angrily at a table in a cabin. Yeah. And now we finally have 
this story, this trailer, just showing us a little bit of the story around these horrible murders and just a good trailer overall. Go give it a watch and let us know if this is something you're going to go see in theaters because Apple is now very serious about getting its films in theaters. So I will probably see it in theaters. This looks like a good theater movie. It, yeah, it really does. Listeners, let us know what are you excited about? Are you really excited about Apple's VR headset or are you looking for Apple's machine learning features at WWDC? You can contact Wes and myself on Twitter or Mastodon. All those links are in the show notes. And you can support the show, get an ad-free version and early access directly on Apple Podcasts or at patreon.com slash Apple Insider. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.